Ethical disclaimer. While Diana and I are psychologists, we aren't your psychologists. Reverse psychology is not a replacement for therapy. If you're interested in speaking with a therapist, please check out some of the links in our episode description. Now, on with the show. I learned that we can do things like have people donate. We can sell stuff on there. You know what we could do? What? Is we can get a camera and we can do, do live streaming. Ew. Nude. <laughs> let's practice our laughing are you recording yeah i'm always recording let's practice our laughing ready i'm gonna go first no i hate how you fake laugh okay you go first <laughs> okay that's good that's okay laugh laugh as if i surprised you with something okay now laugh like it's you knew it was coming okay now laugh like a person you don't like made a joke and you're trying to be polite really yeah. Nice. Wait, no, no, no. Let me try it again. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Welcome back to Reverse go, Psychology. This is your. This is how you do it. Is this a, your fake laugh? <laughs> do I, it. I open my mouth and I open my throat and I open my heart. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> See. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh. We're getting Leroy laughing and the boy here. that lives at Leroy's house. We're are getting staring. laughing in here. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Everybody, everybody, get stupid. All right, this is reverse psychology, the podcast. I think we're ready. I'm a little lightheaded now. I'm jazzed. Well, welcome, jazzed. This is reverse psychology, the podcast. I am Dr. Diana. I'm a licensed psychologist. Cool. Comma latka maker yeah you made a lot of latkas a lot of latkas a lot of of lawbreakers around here (laughs) and what if they did a jewish version of that movie where matthew mcconaughey is like the law says no potatoes but it looks like there's a lot of latkas up in here all right so yeah i also board certified behavior analyst not sure if you heard that that. (laughs) mike was talking over me (laughs) okay Hey, who are you? I am Dr. Mike. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. And when I was a child, I wanted to be a firefighter. What are What are your cooking abilities? A sous chef. So I help. Mm-hmm. I'm a helper chef. Yeah, you did. You did a I'm good a job lot of helping. Dist- I'm a distraction chef, too. You did a good job helping my family's Jewish Christmas Eve dinner. Oh, my God. It was so good. Kugel, latkes. Br- brisket. Dreidels. Gold coins. Yeah, so. How was your Jewish Christmas? It's good. It was good. We're home. We're back. We're we back. are we recovered. Back. We slept a lot over the past three days. Ready to take on. I think we're ready to teach people again. Yep. We we're are. ready to take on the world. Are you going to share the information that you have in front of you? I have two things of information in front of me I want to share. Okay. One is that I was when I was waiting for you to come in the room, I was looking on Craigslist for a new job. <laughs> okay. And I found. Th- I don't think that's where people at our stage look for I new found, jobs. But... I found three. I want you to tell me which one's the most promising. Okay. This one is in Fort Myers. So it's a little bit far away. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read you the, the description. Okay. And then as soon as you can guess what the job is, I want you to jump in and tell me what you think the job is. Okay. Dog walker. No, you lost. Tired of your day job and want to make the money you deserve? MLM. What's that? Multi-level marketing. Uh, I don't think so. The picture doesn't make it look like it. Okay. Then we have the job for you. Cash money paid out after each performance. Performance. Lee... Charlotte, Massage therapy. Um, Colonic. Ca- close. Therapy. Closer. Okay. Enemas. Webcam entertainers needed. Oh. No experience necessary. Okay. Must be over 18. 
we're going to check your ID. And then it gives a person's cell phone number just to, to arrange an interview. <laughs> Couples encourage. We can do our podcast on a webcam. Why is it located in Fort Myers, but it's webcam? Probably legal reasons. Hmm? I don't know. Okay. Maybe in... It seems, remo- it seems like something you could do remotely. Ladies... If you're in need of a safe place to perform, we can also offer a safe place. But if you don't ask for it, it's going to be super dangerous. <laughs> How much does it pay? It's like a wild range. It's like from 300 to 3,000. You pretend you're about to take your clothes off until people give you money and then you go, oh, the show's over. We could do this as a webcam thing. No. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. There's another one immediate hire okay. for Tuesday. So we need to jump on this one. Okay. 600 to $700 a week, full time communication skills required trainer physical trainer military slash sports background oh leadership skills okay no experience oh wait wait wait. hold on um life coach hands-on training room for advancement Mm, um uh, contractor it doesn't say what the job is (laughs) at all that i read you the entire ad okay that was fun i thought you said you had three i did the third one was just modeling but i feel like this is taking a long time okay so I think Mike has the thing to talk about. Okay. That was a good introduction. What is it? So this is the Monitor on Psychology has published the top 10 articles. I, sw- I read five of them I know. already, but you can review them. So this is our year in review. Year in, year in review. review. What? Review, review. So we're ending a decade, by the way, but this is just the year in review. I saw something this morning that said 2019 summarized. At least I didn't die. Although we still have a couple of days. The APA is <laughs> okay. 89 journals. The APA does? Yeah. Why, why, just, why not just get the one more? I couldn't even name three. Um, no, let's not do it. There's been 4,500 articles published over the past year. Of those, that's there, a lot. there are 10 worth reading. No, no, no. That's not it. It's the 10 most downloaded. Wait, what am I reading? You're just reading the t- what All they are. All of them? Or do you want me to start at six? Just like briefly okay. read them. Okay. One. I'm going to start at number 10. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Benjamin Button this. Yeah, I'm going to Benjamin Button this. So number 10, which is the youngest, but also the oldest. <laughs> Culture interacts with other elements of an organization to drive success. That sounds fun. That sounds like IO. That sounds like it's from the Journal of Applied Psychology. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. No need to explain that. Early childhood depression emotion regulation, episodic memory, and hippocampal development. Oh, I'm going to talk about the hippocampus Oh, today. the hippocampus? The hippop anonymous okay. campus. Cool. So this is looking at MRI studies in kids 6 to 12 and seeing if you can see brain patterns with depressed chillins. Okay. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. All right. Well, I'll put a pin in that. Number eight, emerging behavior problems, bi-directional relationship between parenting styles and infant temperament. Ooh, Ooh. I like that one. What do you think they what found? What they found? What they found? Parenting style and child temperament influence one another and both contribute to mm-hmm. children's behavior problems. Yep, I could see that. They looked at 201 mothers, 151 fathers. They found that mothers with a more authoritative parenting style had infants with greater capacity to regulate their behavior at six months. And mothers with a more permissive parenting style had infants with less capacity to regulate their behavior. In turn, higher infant regulatory capacity and negative affect at six months predicted greater maternal permissive parenting style at 18 months. Yeah, it's interesting because I wonder like it's a chicken egg thing. Yeah, well, this is looking at the bi-directional. Right, that's what I mean. Like how personalities, kids are born with little personalities. And I so, know. Um, Some kids have big personalities. Sure. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. That's a cool study. I'd like to look more into it. Okay. We can get that one. Number seven was early interventions in cognitive behavioral therapy for depression. Ooh, Ooh we, we did it. Topical. Uh, contrasting a low adherent and high adherent case. This is okay. a case study? Yeah. It's Moving looking on. at how it's, it's a two person two-person case study that's crazy that is it's crazy. one of the top downloaded uh, risk factors for child sexual abuse victimization uh risk, metana- risk factors risk factors oh, like who they live with or like well let's find out a series of uh, meta-analyses identified a significant mean effect for 23 of the, the 35 risk domains the strongest effects were reported for prior victimization of the child so if you're victimized once you're going to be victimized again what's Probably because you live in an environment where people are victimizing you. Yep. That's absolutely what they say. Um, I should be a fucking Also a prior uh, victimization of other people in the household. Again, because if there's... Yeah. 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 Other risk factors include living in a family with a non-nuclear structure, having Mm -hmm. a parent who experienced intimate partner violence, having a chronic uh, physical or mental health condition, and being female. I call that the no-duh study. (gasps) A (laughs) no-duh. Okay. Keep going. Okay. Number five, sex differences in killers. Okay. 55 males, 55 females. So the man, men murder. Well, they're, they're looking at how the, how the patterns differ. So Oh, right. Men are more violent. Men are hunter-gatherer murderers where they tend to stalk victims and hunt them. Females, they tend to... Uh, female serial killers gather their victims, killing relatives and other ones that are close to them. Okay. That's a fun fact to drop at your next meal. Point to people and based on their gender, predict what kind of killer they're going to be. <laughs> Number four, child-centered play therapy for healing children exposed to domestic violence. Not a thing. It has a child playing with the train. So I'm take... sure it's a thing. Whatever. We're not advocates Number of play therapy th- ourselves. but No, but play is important. It is. Number three, the development of goal-setting theory. A retrospective. That sounds boring. Therapeutic <laughs> strategies and techniques in early cognitive behavioral therapy. And it has a picture of a teenager in therapy sleeping. And then the number one study of the year. Number one. The therapeutic relationship in cognitive behavioral therapy. Essential features and common challenges. Oh, the dog just looked at us like we were exhausted ridiculous uh the article offers uh, suggestions in adapting cbt specific practices to a patient's unique presentation cool okay that was fun so we can tell what the trends are yeah therapy applied stuff (laughs) sweet okay all right what's next on the agenda should i just jump in just jump in put on your bathing suit dive right in this topic um so what are we talking about today so this might be a two-parter i don't know did you message our friends no not yet i told you to maybe this is the reason why we should both get cell phones so we can both <laughs> message people so we should stop sharing one cell phone so the power have you ever seen someone that shares an email address with their partner yeah i have it always yeah like it weirds me out it weirds me out because well, we share our rev psych r-e-v-dot-p-s-y-c-h-c-a-s-t at gmail.com yeah we that's, share that one well, that's our business like I've I've had clients where I'm like, hey, I'm gonna email you something. What's your email? And it's like, oh, it's Bob and Sue at AOL.com <laughs> like backslash free. Roadrunner. It's free to like yeah, have it's free your to have multiple ones. <laughs> I've also seen less frequent, but I've seen people share a Facebook account where mm. it's like Oh, I've seen that. I've seen that. Karen and Steve Smith, and it's like all their pictures are just them together. Yeah, I mean be, be your own internet self. I don't know. I mean, we used to share phone lines when they were 
house phones house phones that is a weird thought that when we used to call a phone it used to go to a house like that was the unit of conversation Mm -hmm. and now we're calling the direct person so it's jarring when you call someone's cell phone and someone else answers it we were when we were in california we talked about having a joint voicemail message on our cell phones like how we used to do you have reached three one three mark and diana we can't get to the phone right now but if you leave a message, we'll message, After this beep, we'll get right back. back. Boop. See ya. See ya. Well, that was like a real cute one. And then we have a three-minute argument <laughs> while it's still recording. <laughs> you, were fl- you were late. You, d- you, were f- you were flat. All right. Just we're not like doing our podcast. Just like our podcast. It's flat? Or no, like our how we argue in three minutes. You know, in Three minutes or less. Let's get into a fight. Okay. Let's just jump into it. What are we talking about? Talking about depression. And we're talking about the biological theory of depression. Okay. So what have we talked about so far? We've talked about trying to keep the microphone at the same distance from your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Okay. Okay. What have we talked about so far with depression? Interpersonal theory of depression, which one factor that keeps us depressed. What else? We've talked about cognitive behavioral therapy. What else? We've talked about... What was the first depression topic we had? Yeah, it was classical conditions. Classical Learned con- Learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. Learned We've talked about sports and depression. No, we haven't. We've talked about... Okay, we're, I'm just going to... This is... So it's interesting we've talked about like all like thought-based or like... Or behavioral Behavioral experiences of depression, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to move on to brain what's, biology. What's, what's, what's a brain? What's, what's, what's a brain? What's a brain for? It's for fucking stupid. Good. Thanks for picking that up. Okay. <laughs> Without any hesitation. Mm-hmm. Well, we say that joke a lot to ourselves. Yeah. To, between ourselves. What's a greater for? It's for fucking stupid. <laughs> so, all right. So what do you know? I'll, I'll ask. I'll start with a question. What do you know? What's the, no. What's okay. the first thing that comes to mind when you think of biology and depression or brain and depression? Biology and depression. What's the first thing? Serotonin. Okay. Good. Good answer. Thank you. That is a common answer. And... and- May or may may not not be the right, may or may not be right. Okay. Here's the thing. We started kind of learning about the biology of depression in the 1950s. So like before that, I mean, there were like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what maybe, oh, we had like the behavioral theory and like the class learn helplessness, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit before that. Before that, we had like humors. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Black bile, Mm -hmm. yellow bile, phlegm Mm -hmm. and... I don't know. Semen? No. I don't know. Um, really started thinking about the brain in the 50s. And like a lot of um, medical discoveries, this came about by accident. Blood. Blood? Blood. Blood's the fourth human. Humor. Human. <laughs> I'm going to start a superhero team called the Humors. Cool. And then we put our fists in the middle and go, blood, yellow bile, black bile, phlegm. Mm-hmm. Good then- one. And Captain Planet so like up. the idea of that time was like a shortage or an over overproduction of things. Mm-hmm. There were also like spiritual, you know, like alignment things mm-hmm. and um, chakras. So in 1951, doctors treating individuals with tuberculosis at Seaview Hospital on Staten Island. They started um, administering a new drug. What a new drug? Ipronias. I want to get this right. Ipronizid. Ipronizid. Okay. Just leave the good one in. Okay. Ipronizid. And they started observing like sudden transformations in patients' mood and behavior. So they were getting treated for a medical condition. Okay. 
administered a drug and started realizing, whoa, this is making people feel better. Cool. Or act like they feel better. Oh, they're faking it? Um, it kind of reminds me of that movie with Robin Williams, Awakenings. Patch Adams? No, Awakenings, when they give dopamine. You haven't seen that movie? I haven't seen Awakenings. Oh, my gosh. We have a lot of movie watching. Have you ever seen do. Jack? Jack? Jack. Uh-uh. Robin Williams was a child in a man's body. He had a disease. Mm. All right. So only part I remember is that he's in a tree fort with a bunch of kids. And one of the kids goes, you ever have an erection before? And he said, no, but I hope my parents give me one for Christmas. this year." <laughs> so like there was a marked difference in the mood of patients in okay. this ward. And so it, was it just because they weren't struggling with TB anymore? Or is there a real benefit? They went from glum, silent, lethargic patients to joking, laughing, bright and happy. And it was a journalist that wrote that. Energy flooded back and appetites returned. I should say this is from a New York Times article in 2012. Oh. Um, and it is titled Post Prozac Nation. It's a really good article. Many, ill for months, demanded five eggs for breakfast and then consumed them with gusto. I want to start eating with gusto. Five eggs? No, anything. Just every bite go, ha ha! Then concurrently well a, a couple of years later at duke hospital a 28 year old woman was prescribed reduxin to control her blood pressure and then subsequently fell into what we now consider deep depression oh. um dullness lethargy crying spells guilty and hopeless and then it turned into hostility um, so there were a number of cases with reduction that resulted in similarly. One attempted to commit suicide. Um, sorry, one attempted to die by suicide. Mm. Sorry, we've correct that. It's okay, I'll forgive you. Um, and then several were um, admitted to psychiatric wards and had electrical convulsive shock therapy um, to Wait, alleviate symptoms. Do you think that they were still taking the medication? I don't know, it getting, doesn't say. Well, would you I don't, speculate if you think that like, with this do you think it was like they started taking it and it was not reversible or was it that they didn't realize Mm. the medication was causing it i don't think they realized the medication was causing it until there was like a critical mass of people who Mm. had it okay that makes sense yeah sucks i would imagine like if i gave you a pill and then you start weeping i would be like hey let's probably stop taking that pill for a little bit so you have these two kind of different reactions to two different drugs mm-hmm. kind of right around the same time some would say opposite reactions yeah opposite reactions both prescribed for medical conditions that then resulted in symptoms of either like happiness i guess happiness isn't the right word relief. elation relief versus um like severe depression right so mm-hmm. doctors started to take note and started to wonder about how these two seemingly unrelated chemicals could produce profound and opposite effects on mood coincidentally i don't know if that's a thing or not Mm. coincidentally maybe or just right around this time in the 50s and early 60s people started thinking about their brain differently um they described it as scientists started to discover that the brain was immersed in a soup of chemicals Mm -hmm. right Mm, bisque soup Mm. so our our brain wasn't just organ structure it wasn't just a dry mass it was a real Moist bowl of of soup. Yeah. What were these soupy chemicals? Blood, yellow bile, black bile, (laughs) phlegm. So what what do we know now it is? Neurotransmitters. Right. And what are neurotransmitters? For fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) They are the chemicals the brain uses to talk to itself. Right. So when we have a thought, 
Okay. What's happening in the brain? Electricity and chemicals. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's really interesting to think about like, this is, please. (laughs) This is where biology and like the biological nature and the cognitive nature of depression or any, any issue related to psychology kind of converge, right? So we have these things that happen in our brain that are the manifestation of what happens when we think. But also, those are the reasons why we think and feel certain ways. So it's sort of like this circular, circular, cyclical? Cycular. (laughs) So it's really interesting to think about like on a chemical level, what's happening when we're thinking right Mm -hmm. like as i'm talking right now like my brain is farting like crazy yeah fart 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 all right so what they found was both of these drugs the reduxin reduxin and iproniazid both have had an effect on serotonin and closely related neurotransmitters in the brain now they're like, all right, we got it. They're like, oh, I'm God. They're like, we now believe that serotonin is the thing associated with depression. That was what in year the 60s. Did, what year did the DSM come out? The first DSM? 30s? I'm look. I just want to know. We're in DSM 5 now. 1952. Oh, well, I was way So this is like around the same time the DSM was written. Interesting. Huh. Huh. So do you think that they caused this to happen as a, to make justification for the DSM to come out? Is a conspiracy? No. Okay. Let's think about it. All right. So they're like, this is where the term or the idea about a chemical imbalance started to emerge. And that's something. So that was the 60s. What are we at? 2020? Almost. Almost. How many years is that? 20, 40, 60 years. We're at the six. Six plus zero. Six. We're at the kind of the 60 year mark of thinking about depression Mm -hmm. and we still refer to it. Some people still refer to it as a chemical imbalance. That's like the most like if you ask general population of people like what's what's happening in the brain with depression, chemical imbalance is the Mm -hmm. typical answer. Followed by a poop brain. Yep. (laughs) Poop back up. I don't know. Followed by what? Yeah. Poop back up. Your thoughts are kind of kind of shitty. <laughs> When's the last time you BM'd? I ask that to all my clients. They fill out this questionnaire and it's just one question in size 13 <laughs> font. Point five. 13.5 font. Real Comic specific. Sans. Yeah. <laughs> When's the last time you BM'd? And then on the back it says, in the space below, draw it. <laughs> but that's just for me. But I'll never tell. One time, I don't even know what this is for, but I had a fa- I had a professor in grad school who put up a chart of like different consistencies of bowel movements. What professor is this for? It was for our TSM class. Okay, good. I don't know why, and we I like giggled so much. It was like, why do we even need to know that? Like, we're not. Guess, I, guess what? You don't. Yeah, exactly. What do you remember? I remember soft to hard. Okay. Like there's a there's a continuum. Is there the same scale for like stones and minerals? Like you have to use a piece of poop to scratch another piece of poop to determine how hard it is? <laughs> oh, no. Let's keep moving. Okay. We're like... Okay. I get it. Okay. Moving like balls. Yep. Grow up, Diana. This let's is keep science. moving through this descending colon. Uh, so let's keep taking a shit on this topic. <laughs> All right, so we're at chemical imbalance. We're still at chemical imbalance. And then here comes old Hitler stomping around. Okay, 
do you know what year? So there were like, so once we, once people started thinking it was serotonin, like this, whatever deficiency, um, there was like a massive race to produce drugs that increase serotonin in the brain. Mm-hmm. Do you know what year pa- um, Paxil came out? Paxil? Oh, no, wait, 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 sorry. Prozac. Prozac. Came out. 1968. Nineteen fifty one. Nineteen seventy four. Nineteen seventy four. So here's the deal: Prozac, nineteen seventy four; Paxil, nineteen seventy five; and Zoloft, nineteen seventy seven. So mm. these are what we call SSRIs: selective serotonin, serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Inhibitor. So the idea is like your neurotransmitter poops out some serotonin into your synapse, yep. to your brain um, tubes, right? So when you have two neurons talking to each other, mm-hmm. you have one that spits out neurotransmitters and the other one that receives neurotransmitters. And there's a lot of biology there, but basically mm-hmm. it's like how quickly that happens is related to like your kind of th- your thought process and emotions, feelings, memories, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. Okay. Wait, not how quickly because... It either fires or it doesn't. Yeah. Do you want to hear how I explain it to patients? Yes, I do, because this is a mess of a okay. <laughs> explanation. So it's a very boiled down version, but I usually draw this out on the board. Okay. But so let's say you have a message that's spanning across neuron A, neuron B. Neuron A dumps chemicals into this gap, neuron B absorbs it. Mm-hmm. And it's not a perfect process. And because we like to conserve stuff, um, let's say arbitrarily five molecules get dumped out, mm-hmm. neuron B absorbs four of them Mm -hmm. that's good that's still a pretty strong message it keeps going okay and because there's one left over neuron a absorbs it to be used later on Mm -hmm. that's perfectly fine Mm -hmm. but when we are overly stressed or taxed or whatever our body goes into a conservation mode Mm -hmm. and so the five get dropped and as neuron b starts to absorb them (laughs) neuron a starts to call them back much too quickly so you're back here yeah, come on in for dinner. <laughs> Originally, when it's like a well-balanced neuron, maybe there's four that move across. So it's like still a pretty strong message. Now maybe it's only two mm-hmm. or one. So you're getting a message, but it's weaker. And so that's that feeling of it being like just hard to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like... Lethargic. Yes. Because yeah. it's... And it's, it's because your message is getting weaker and weaker. Mm-hmm. And so you have to... Right. The neuron fires, but it it kind of sucks. Yeah. It takes firing. more energy to do stuff because whereas you may have had to do like one firing to get a certain strength now you have to like three four or five firings to get that same strength Mm -hmm. of something and so whereas like you used to check the mail and used to be really easy like oh mail's here i'm gonna go get it now it's like oh the mail's here i think we'll get it i'm just gonna see her for a minute so um right so when ssris it prevents the those like those bloop no, that's no, the other thing. It prevents the slurping. It prevents the slurping it, it, from going back into the neuron it that fired it. Puts up a little barrier, a little force field. And says, get out of here. Go it to the says, new one. You stay in the yard. Get out of it. White fangs. Don't you know you're not wanted here? <laughs> is that and the, then, no, is that the white fang? No. Yeah, it's white fang. Ha- Harry and the Hendersons. That's the same movie. <laughs> D- Diana. Diana. That's the same movie. No, it's not. You've been, this has been movie talk. Get out of here. Go to your home. Your home is Neuron B. <laughs> and then Neuron A throws little rocks, dopamine, 
<laughs> That's not true. Don't believe that part. Okay. No, I gotta go. Bowl, I gotta. Okay, I gotta go get some water and my cord because my f- computer is about to die. Okay. Okay. Back. We back. Yep. Oh, is that a neuron slurping up chemicals? It's a water. Okay, so where are we at? So we're at SSRI's development of, comma, <laughs> development Hey, Diana, of. Hey, I have a question. Where in the body does the majority of our serotonin get absorbed? In our stomach. In our stomach, stupid. <laughs> Joke's on you. Um, okay. They make some really interesting points in this article. One is that, so if you think about a heart attack and... It's serious. It is. It's serious as the a... Other one, is that f- fast? No, that's strokes. What's fast? Like facial droop. Oh, yeah, it's stroke. Ass sag. <laughs> sleepy toes. Okay. Time to go to the hospital. All right. So heart attack can be caused by a lot of different things. Equifinality. Yes, exactly. But um, you have the, the treatment for it um, might be like aspirin, right? So you can have a lot of things that contribute to heart disease, heart attack, and then you have kind of one treatment. So for a while, we thought about depression in the same way. So it's like, well, it could be this, it could be that. So so, so just to back up a little bit. So okay. so pe- first people thought it was serotonin. Okay. And then it was like, well. all these studies of SSRIs came out, there was a lot of variability in their findings. Some studies were like, it's really SSRIs are really, really great. They have a large effect um, compared to placebos. Some were like no effect. Some were like worse effect than placebos. It was really all over the map. People started wondering if it's not actually serotonin, but it might be something else. People were like, maybe it's dopamine. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe, maybe it's dopamine. Maybe it's dopamine. <laughs> we should sell dopamine. Um, Maybe Aldopa? it's... Well, they do sell that for Parkinson's, yep. Parkinson's. And then maybe it's other brain structural mm-hmm. things. So because of the failure of SSRI studies, essentially people started wondering like, eh, is maybe this it's something else? Yeah, maybe there's something else going on that we don't know. So we started diversifying our approach to depression treatment. The deal is that like, even if we think about other neurotransmitters as quote unquote, the cause of depression, we don't have a way of measuring serotonin in a live person. Well, in a dead person either. We don't have a, there's like blood tests for serotonin. And saliva tests. Yeah. But they kind of, they're not they're They just measure. The um, waste. Yeah. They don't measure exactly how much is in the brain. They don't really have anything to do with that. So you could get like a really bad information about what's going on in your brain. Actually, what's funny is when I first started antidepressants in like, I was an undergrad psych major. And I went to the first um, psychiatrist that I ever saw. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I need like medication for depression. Can I like, is there like a blood test or something that can tell me like which one I should take? And he kind of laughed at me. They kind of have that now, although it's not super accurate. It's not accurate at all. Like the, I the, have the quest some- diagnostic stuff. Yeah, yeah and it's not good. There's not it. There's not. It's not good. You know what it's good for is though is spending your money. Yeah. Um. There's also like things you can get delivered to your home, like a saliva or a urine kit that supposedly you can like. Someone s- mails you their saliva or urine. <laughs> How is that supposed to make you less depressed? No, when they mail you a container and then you mail it back. Oh, that's good. You can spit in the privacy of your own home. So don't don't do that. That's a waste of money. 
but so basically they're like, okay, how do we know if people are serotonin depleted? If they respond to the medication? Kind of, but not really. Because I'll take back what I said earlier. You can measure serotonin levels in dead people in um, autopsies. Okay. But that's but that's not an answer. Um, there's I'll a, kill you when first. You do, when you do autopsies on people who suffered from depression, you find might find a lot of things. So you might find a different size amygdala. You might find a different size hippocampus. You might find different neurotransmitter issues. So... So again, going with that hypothesis of like, there's probably multiple causes of depression. Which is why one treatment doesn't treat all of it. Because depression is not like a virus where we know what the virus is and we can treat the virus. Depression is a constellation of things. There's also, this is like really confusing for researchers because in some experiments, they actually find that people who suffered from depression while they were alive had more serotonin in their brain during autopsies. I, and I'm, I, I'm not basing this on anything other than just like piecing together different research findings that I've seen. But I, I feel like it's got to be this very complex relationship between brain structure and volumes of chemical. Because I feel like if you, it ha- is. If you and, have... And a... I'll talk a little bit about that okay. too. Yeah. But, well, um, but then I want to talk about one more experiment. So in, um, in 1994 in Montreal, there were um, patients that were given a chemical mixture that lowered serotonin. Okay, so if we believe lack of serotonin is related to depression, we would expect to see if you lowered serotonin that patients would experience more depression, right? Potentially. They experienced no significant alterations in mood. Mm. So maybe it's like a unipolar thing where... Uh, Here's the thing. What's the thing? Like all things... Um, related to biology, it's genetics and stressors in your environment. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're prone to depression because of a genetic history um, of depression, but like you just don't encounter anything in your life that quote unquote turns it on, right? Like there's, there's few stressors you experience. You don't have like a major life event early on or whatever that, that, that gives that depression a, a pathway. So you aren't going to experience depression during your life, hopefully, maybe. But if you're prone to depression and you have an aversive life event, um, you know, it's more likely to turn on. But if you aren't prone to depression, you have a major life event, you also won't experience depression. So it's, it's highly related to like genes, um, yeah. DNA, and... It's like the diathesis. The, uh, Cis it's easy for you to say. Diathesis stress model. Where right. It's, where it's like relation between stress and response. And there's always going to be a critical mass where you'll develop a problem from the stress. But I feel like your genetics places you on different parts of that spectrum. Where if you have a high predisposition to depression, it won't take a lot of stress to tip you over. Mm-hmm. But if you are mm-hmm. not predisposed to it, it'll take a lot more to get to that point of depression. But if things get bad enough, like... You, you might eventually get there. Here's the thing that they found in that study, the 1994 study I was talking about. If you don't have a predisposition to depression, lowering serotonin won't do anything. It won't alter Mm. your mood. If you have a significant family history, lowering serotonin will cause significant um, mood alteration. It'd be interesting. And I know you said we can't do it unless we killed these participants. It'd be interesting to see if you take a medication to lower serotonin if you don't have a predisposition, it'd be interesting to see if your brain just like 
kicks into overdrive and compensates for the chemical reduction. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we, I don't think we know that, but I think that would be an interesting finding to show what is lacking if you are predisposed to it. Like maybe it's just the ability to course correct. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot, and I'll get to like wh- now what we think about in terms of serotonin and brain structure. But I want to say before I get there that there's a researcher named Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H. Um, in 2010, he did a meta-analysis, so study of studies, using six of the most rigorously conducted studies on antidepressants. So based on what we were just talking about, what do you think he found in terms of placebo versus treatment and SSRIs? I would imagine he found uh, a low to moderate overall effect. So what he found was that um, in mo- in moderate, mild to moderate depression, SSRIs were not effective. That makes sense. At, they were not, they were just as effective as placebos. Okay. However, in severely depressed um, patients, SSRIs had a profound effect that makes sense. compared to the placebo. That makes sense. I feel like the patients I've worked with that are very severely depressed are much more likely to also have like a family history of depression. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is less to like transient life stress and more of like a, a chronic stress, like a chronic depression. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, right. I, uh, I, I support what he's saying. Okay, cool. Good. So slap my name on that. <laughs> I'll, I'll be modest. I'll be a third author. Okay. All right. You'll be modest or honest? Modest. Okay. Um, I'll be modest, yo. You, you'll be modest by saying, hey, I also thought that. I also thought that. Can you slap my name on there? Me too. <laughs> All right. So then... Okay, so we have we talked about neuro T's and neuro A's. What is a neuro A? A neuro ass. What's a neuro? What's a neuro T? Transmitter. Oh, that was a neuro T. <laughs> what are we talking about? Um, and like just the theory about like synapses and mm-hmm. you know up reuptake and blah blah yeah. blah Force biology fields, stuff. Magnets Genetic or fucking magic. DNA, whatever. Well, now I'm gonna pivot. To talking about... Oh, basketball? Brain structure. Plant one foot, move around with the other one. In the 19... Up until the 1980s... Sweet. We thought that developed brains, like in adulthood, were like, that's it, you're done, boop. Like, all you're going to do now is lose ability in your brain. Yep. Like, you're just going to... You hit a peak, and you're going to plummet. You're going to plummet, right? So, that's a sad outlook yeah. on adulthood and brains but then here comes flock of seagulls why because it's the 80s oh and they turned it all around here comes wham here comes wham our favorite brain scientist <laughs> slash new wave band so there's a neuroscientist called what's his name Ba-ba-ba, gage fred gage phineas no Maybe a descendant. Maybe it's Phineas's son, Fred, trying to figure out why his dad's a dick. Okay. His question was, Do does the adult human brain produce new cells? Turns Answer. out, yes. yes. Oh, so he did, this is really like sad and sweet. So he did rat 
studies and then um, noticed that um, there were new neurons in adult rats in two areas of the brain. One. Olfactory. Smell. S- smell. So you can smell new things, I guess, as you age. But I think rats are like very smell dominant animals. Okay. So may not generalize to humans. And the other part is the hippocampus. Mm. Mike, what does the hippocampus do? It's a large African animal that wallows <laughs> in the water. What is it, it? Memories? Memories and emotion regulation. Memories and memories. Could there be a relationship between emotion and neuron birth? This this is the sad part. Okay. And then he killed the rats with a they hammer? They started to stress out mice. Okay. Do you know how to stress out mice? Did they go into the lab dress as a cat? <laughs> no. They removed their bedding. They reached in their little cages and said, the thing you've been sleeping on, we're going to take that away. Yeah. It's just like a little cute little bed. I just imagine this yeah. like little tiny rat bed little, and they like pull it out and they're like, have fun living now. Yeah, because they were laying on little Casper mattresses. Aww. They come in a little package and it's so comfortable. And then when it gets taken away, it gets through Casper mattress code reverse psychology for, for more details. We are not sponsored. But we could be if you keep putting that code in and they're like, who the <laughs> fuck is this? Let's call them and offer them money. So they took out their beds. Well, they did other things too, but one of the most stressful things was removing their beds. And they found that, they found that like once they did that, the rats started experiencing more anxiety and lethargy. And they also found that the burst of nerve cells in the hippocampus diminished. And then the converse was true. Not the shoes. The converse was true. Um, When they put in more beds? They get less stressed? They, when they're housed in an enriched environment with mazes, nesting materials, and toys, they became more active and adventurous. Do you think you would like having a maze in your house? No, but I'm not a rat. I would love one. And then they found more neurons were being born in the hippocampus. If you're happy? So then they did primate studies and they did... Well, what's interesting is that the birth of neurons in the mice, what they found were like when they enriched their environment, the birth of neurons... Um, took about two to three weeks. So when you think about like antidepressants and functionality, you see the same thing. Anti, mm. You see about, it takes about two to three to four weeks to start really working. So then there became this hypothesis that maybe it's not the neuronal, neuronal. Neuronic? Neuronal like experience of the SSRIs that improves depression symptoms, but maybe it's that it's related somehow to nerve growth in the hippocampus. Somehow increased serotonin helps cell development in adults Hmm. in the hippocampus. So here's the interesting part and what I want our psychiatrist friends to What's the interesting part? Besides all of that. So there's a researcher named Helen Helen Mayberg. Um, She's a neuroscientist at Emory. She's been mapping anatomical areas of the brain that are either hyperactive or inactive in depressed men and women. So she's led herself to the subcolossal cingulate, which is a minuscule bundle of nerve cells that sit near the hippocampus and function as a conduit between parts of the brain that control conscious thinking and emotion. It's hippocampus adjacent, but it's like the kind of the the traffic director between the emotion and thinking, right? She has stimulated this area of the brain with tiny bursts of electricity using probes in patients resistant to antidepressant therapy and has seen a remarkable improvement in their functioning, like within seconds after stimulation. 
and like this is electrical, not chemical, right? So this sort of feeds into the theory and the idea behind transmagnetic cranial stimulation, mm-hmm. right? I'm not in a position to talk about TMS, but hopefully our friends will come on and do it. And I think I think that's where I want to end today. Okay, that's a good stopping point. I'll just say like for, for more reading, there's a really interesting article in the Scientific American called Is Depression Just Bad Chemistry? Um, and it kind of goes through what I talked about, but it has a lot of cool, interesting um, studies and kind of elaborates on some of the things I just talked about. Oh, I want to, well, first of all, I want to talk about an analogy that um, they point out in the Scientific American article. So no, essentially they say no studies have established a cause and effect relation between any brain or psychosocial dysfunction and the disorder. People who say depression is caused by X in the brain, they're full of shit. Gross. Um, if you're in a if you're in a talk or any type of lecture and someone says that, hold your nose and go, "What's that smell?" Because it's shit. It's not just one change related to neurotransmitters, to brain functioning, to environment, to thinking patterns. Not just one change that's going to be effective in depression treatment, which is why a whole bunch of changes. Yeah, which is why like talk therapy and depression medical treatment is is key. So, what did you just learn, Mike? I learned that the only cause of depression is serotonin. JK. What else did you learn? I learned that you're smart. I already knew that though. I learned that. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. I didn't realize how old the medications that we still prescribe today are. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So Dana, what was your what was your best part about 2019? Oh my wrapping, best part. As we're wrapping we up. We got married. Who too? You and me. You and me both got married to each other. To each other. That was good. Way yeah. to steal my one. What was the worst part about 2019? Trump. Still, Trump still being here? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that is my full answer. What are you going to do? What's what are your, what's like three goals for 2020? Wow. I w- I'm not prepared for this. Maybe like one goal then. Um, what do you want? What do you, what do you want out of 2020? I want just more financial success. I'd like to see my financial situation improve. Okay. That sounds I would like that. Okay. For you or for me? For both of us. Okay. We're well, a unit. We're a eunuch. We're a eunuch. <laughs> We've went to that guy in Florida and got our balls cut off. What is your favorite thing about 2019? I think even outside of... Oh, we bought a house. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. We bought a zoo. We bought a zoo. <laughs> and then we killed all the animals. We bought a house. That's the sequel to We Bought a Zoo. We own a jerky factory. <laughs> So from gross. the makers of we bought a zoo we have an exotic meat warehouse <laughs> what's your least favorite part of 2019 um sushi did die that made me really sad and i forgot until now but now we're we're, we're, we're next... in the room of sushi memorabilia i know yeah that was probably the saddest part of 2019 yeah it was pretty sad when sushi overdosed on what heroin no she didn't she just bled from her bowels I thought you were going to say the P word. No. It was, a, it was a UTI. She was bleeding no, from there. I don't know what it was. All right. So what are you looking forward to in 2020? Staying married. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I would like to, I would like to be more consistent in my relationships. Just respond to text faster and hmm. like show up more and, and just improve my overall health. Maybe see a doctor again. <laughs> 
Yeah. Dentist. Go to a dentist. Please. Yeah. Go to a therapist. Go to a therapist. Mental, teeth related, and physical. Yeah. Just all those. Improve my health. All right. Cool. Well, um, I'm excited to see what 2020 brings for you and for us. Next and time. For our loved ones. Next time we talk to each other, it's going to be the future. All right. Love you. Love you. Bye. bye. Sorry, I have to burp. Oh. Oh, it was a yawn. That's weird. <laughs> my, are everything you, in my body was telling me it was Your body's burp. all over the place. I know. I slept till 10 today. My teenager. It was like 11. <laughs>